This morning, would you turn your Bibles to and your Bible apps to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea in the Old Testament, right about in the middle of your Old Testament in chapter 2, we'll begin with verse 14 today. We are in a series on the Old Testament book of Hosea entitled Relentless Love. It's all about the relentless love that God has for those who follow him. And um, an essayist and a, and a poet, American essayist and poet, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said this. He said, all the world loves a lover. All the world loves a lover. And if Emerson is right, then the world loves this book, this story of Hosea. In fact, based on recent reports from small group leaders and others, the people of Nova uh, love this Old Testament minor prophet book too. And so if you've missed the first two installments on this series, you can go to novachurch.org and catch up on the sermon audio podcasts uh, this week. Hosea. Hosea is a story of brokenness. It's about a broken vow, a, a marriage vow, a wedding vow, a broken home, a broken heart. It's about a broken life. And this ancient story could be a very relevant modern-day narrative as well. Now, this is a story of a young man named Hosea, and one day God tells him to marry a promiscuous woman, and her name is Gomer. And their marriage will be a metaphor, God says, of the relationship that God has with his people. And so Hosea marries Gomer, and soon children are born, And the names of the children give us some insight into the heart of God. And even though Gomer continues to be unfaithful to Hosea, he refuses to divorce her. And then last week, Pastor Dave preached about the beginning of chapter 2, in the very beginning of chapter 2, and he talked about the the tough love of God, uh, how God sets limits and how God calls us back to himself in in a tough way. And we're joking in the office that Dave said, you, you gave me the hard ones all the time. I mean, all the time. In fact, I, I remember, I was just thinking, sitting here, I was just thinking about um, the tough love of God. And uh, in a former church that I was pastoring, every time that I would talk about um, how God hates sin and uh, get, you know, you're going to go to hell and, you know, all of that sort of tough stuff, this one guy would always come up to me afterwards. He was a big guy. Um, and he would come up to me and he'd say, Pastor, I love it when you preach the gospel. Every time. And so I started thinking about that. And he didn't say much to me until I talk about sin and the tough love of God and how you're going to go to hell and all this stuff. So as, we were, as I've been preaching through things, I was making a point that if I was going to say something like that, I would just kind of wait and see what he would say. And this big guy would come up to me after I would do that every single time. And he, with a tear in his eye, he'd say, Pastor, I love it when you preach the gospel. It's, it's so important that you're tough with us. And, and I'm thinking, wow, what a, I don't want to say strange guy, um, but because uh, he might be listening to us right, right now. But um, today, we're not going to talk about the tough love of God. Today, we're going to talk about the tender love of God. Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, 
I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. This is God's word for us today. Through this series... We have been featuring a short film in, in, a, in a bunch of different parts that portray a young couple with Hosea's story set in today's world. And so I'm gonna, I want you to take a look at some clips from the first two episodes, and then we'll take a look at part three right now. Take a look at this. Have you ever experienced the tough love of God in your life? In chapter two of Hosea, there are three therefores, the word therefore, and it gives you a, uh, an outline for chapter 2. And in chapter 2, it, it declares how God will deal with the unfaithful. The first two therefores were described last week in the tough love of God, and the third therefore in chapter 2 takes a turn from the tough love to the tender love, and today let's explore the tender love of God. And so from our text today, there are four parts. The first part, number one, is this. The tender love of God, number one, calls us back to himself. The tender love of God calls us back to himself. Therefore, in verse 14, it uses the word therefore. It speaks of a, of a turn. It says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Now take your pen and underline that word in your Bibles, the word allure. Circle it or put a star next to it. The word allure means to woo or to even seduce and to, to bring back. And so the question would be, what was God trying to bring his people back from? What is he trying to allure them or woo them from? And the answer to that we learned last week was idolatry. It was, it was worshiping other gods. Specifically, it was Baal worship. And so God now, instead of being tough, he's becoming tender. And, and he says, I'm going to woo you. I'm going to seduce you. I'm gonna, I, want, I want you to come back. God says, I, I want you to come back to me. I want you to turn away from the false gods that you've given your heart to. And I think it's just such a beautiful message it's such a beautiful message to an unfaithful bride that God has. But I read in verse 14, it says in the middle part, I will lead her into the wilderness. Now, why, does, why is she led into the wilderness and then he speaks tenderly to her that way? Because the wilderness here was a place that God's people were tested. If you read in the book of Exodus in 
the children of God went into the desert wilderness and they wandered for 40 years. They were, they were tested there and they were, they were sent there so that they could learn to depend on God for water and for shelter and for food and for direction. And so that they had this sense where they really needed God for all of those things, for every single thing. And so God says here in Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, I'm going to lead her into this place of desperation in the wilderness, and then I'm going to speak tenderly to her. God says, I'm not going to yell at you for being unfaithful. I'm not going to tell you how disgusted I am with you. Instead, God will tenderly speak to us. And, and um, you know, you, you might be thinking, God does, Dean, does God really, does God really love us like that with that tenderness? Well, everything in the scriptures tell us that God does love you in that way also. In my life, I've, there's been times that I've desperately wanted my own way. In my life, there's been times where I've run from God in rebellion. And when I've run from him, I think that he's far away or I think he's out of my life. And I, don't, I think I don't have any use for him anymore in those times. And there seems to be sort of this tap on my shoulder. And I turn and I find that he's there. And he's just calling me back to him in a tender way. God says, I want you to know that after you're through with your running and with your going astray, that I'll be here to take you back again. The tender love of God, number one, it calls us back to himself. The, the second part the tender love of God offers us hope and safety. It offers us hope and safety. In verse 15, it says, There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. The valley of Achor is important for us to, to understand and know. You can read about that in Joshua chapter 7 this week. So write in your notes Joshua chapter 7 and read the story of the valley of Achor. The, the word Achor means trouble. So it's the valley of trouble is what it was. It was a place of unfaithfulness. It was a place of rebellion. And so God says that, that I will make the valley of Achor, not the valley of trouble anymore. He says, I'm going to make it the valley of hope. He says, come back to me, to the place known as this valley of terrible things and unfaithfulness and rebellion, and I will change the name of that place. I will make it a doorway, a wide doorway of hope for you. And then God says, I'll make it a place of security and safety in verse 18. It says, in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. There'll be a, a sense of safety and security. The, the, the idea of lying down, like in Psalm 23, of, of security and safety. And God's saying through Hosea, I'm going to lead her out of the wilderness in that place of desperation of, that you absolutely needed me to provide for you. And I'm going to allow her to stumble in this valley of Achor, the place of trouble. And there in that awful and that dreadful place, I'm going to again open this door, this door wide for salvation and for hope and for security. And what God did for the nation of Israel, God does with us. 
when we persist in our running away from him, when we persist in going astray and being unfaithful. It's almost, sometimes it's almost like God takes, when we decide to run in rebellion from him, it's almost like he takes his hands off of our lives for a while and lets us suffer apart from him. And then we might feel the consequences of our unfaithfulness. And then when we stumble around in that valley of trouble, the valley of Achor, the place of broken dreams and of broken hearts and of broken lives, but in that dreadful place, God says, I'm going to change the name of this valley of trouble, and I'm going to open this door that's filled with hope for you. It's this tender love of God that calls us back to himself. Number two, it offers us hope and safety. And then number three, it changes our perspective. The tender love of God changes our view, our perspective. In verses 16 and 17 of Hosea 2, it says, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and you will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. See, on that day you come back to me, God says, you will call me my husband, not my master. When you worship the idols, the, the, the Baals, you gave them power to be master over your life. And God says, I'm going to change your perspective. I'm going to remove that idea of master, and I'm going to have this loving, tender relationship with you. You call me my husband, not my master. And I guess simply to relate that back to our lives is, is and, and Dave asked this last week, and you talked about it in small groups, what do you idolize in your life? What can you not do without in your life? What do you spend the most time thinking about in your life? Is it work or is it working out? Is it hobbies? Is it recreation? Is it a material object that you, you just spend, you obsess over, you, you, you think about often, you, you, it just fills your mind? Is it your phone? Is it an obsession with another human being? What is it that takes the place of God in your life? And idols do not have an enduring relationship with you. In fact, idols don't have, they don't and can't have a relationship with you. But you call it my master. And God says, I want to change all of that. I want to have a relationship with you. You call me my husband now. And this is what idols are like. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 115. He says, But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they can't speak, and eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, and they can't hear, and noses, but they can't smell. They have hands, but cannot feel, feet, but can't walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. God changes our perspective. He says, don't worship other things anymore because you're going to say, that's my master now. I, I need to do everything for that idol, for that other God. He says, I'm going to remove the language of that other God, the bales from her lips. And you can call me my husband now. We're going we're gonna to renew that relationship. This tender love of God, it calls us back to himself in a, in a wooing way 
the tender love of God offers us hope and safety. It, it changes this place of trouble that you are walking in and living in. And he says, I'm going to offer you a door of hope. And then it changes our perspective. You don't have to worship and, and obsess over idols anymore, these things that you make into idols. He says, you don't want to do that. They might have lips, but they can't talk. They might have ears, but they can't hear your prayers. He says, you can call me my husband. We'll have this intimate relationship again. The tender love of God, number four. It assures us of his renewed commitment. It assures us of his renewed commitment. One of my pastor friends this last week, I told him what we were preaching through, and he said, my life verse is in Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. This is Pastor Greg's life verse here. In verse 19, it says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. The word betrothed there is not a word that we use a lot today. In fact, we don't use it very often. The word betrothed, it's it's synonymous with um, engagement, but it's a very different and serious engagement. Betrothed is a serious, committed promise of marriage. A serious, committed, it's, it's a little more than that. It's In ancient days, two families would come together and sign a binding legal contract. So there's a, there's a sense of a betrothal is a legal binding promise, a contract of marriage, of engagement. So two families come together and they sign a binding marriage contract together for two young people in two different families. And there's um, a dowry exchange. There's, there's all sorts of things that are happening in that betrothal contract. And then there's a betrothal period. It could last um, up to a year or longer in the betrothal period. But during that time, even though the, there is no wedding ceremony yet, it's almost like those two are married. They don't live together, but the, the contract is so binding that if one of them violates that contract, that a divorce proceeding would take place. The betrothal period will Lake take a, a, a last a year or longer. And during that time, preparations are made for the wedding ceremony. And, and there needs to be money saved and preparations made and people notified that there'll be a, a wedding ceremony soon. But the husband then takes that time and prepares a home for the new family. And so he's getting his career off the ground. He's building a home and, and he's getting all of that ready. And then finally, it's the wedding day. And it's a seven-day blowout. I mean, it is party for seven days and a ceremony, and it's beautiful, and it's a big celebration. And so God says this. When you come back to me, he says, to my unfaithful one, he says, when you come back to me, I'm going to renew our vows. I'm going I'm to... My commitment to you is forever. Our relationship will be one of purity and justice. Our relationship will be marked by love and by compassion. I'm going to renew my vow to you. We will be faithful to each other forever. Forever is what God says. 
And so this is the tenderness, the tender love of God that, number one, calls us back to himself. And number two, it offers us this doorway of hope and of safety from the valley of trouble. It, it changes our perspective where we don't have to bow down to these other idols and, and utter their names of master with our lips. He says, you, you're not going to call them master anymore. You're going to call me my husband. And then it, it assures us of his renewed commitment in our lives. So what's our response? Let's, let's take the rest of our time and ask ourselves, what's our response to a, the tender love of God in our life? The Apostle Paul writes in Titus chapter 3 about the kindness and the tenderness of God. Take a look at this in verses 4, 5, and 6. It says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Our response to the kindness and love of God, number one, is, or the first one is this, is God's kindness leads you to himself. God's kindness, it, it leads you back to himself. God loves to, he loves to lavish kindness on his people. But God's kindness, I think, for me personally, I don't know about you, but God's kindness sometimes is hard for me to grasp I think when I'm unfaithful to God and I'm kind of astray and I, and I read words of God's kindness, it's hard for me to grasp that because the bigger your conception of God, who God is, the more amazing his tenderness and his kindness is. Can you, can you imagine this? God is the creator of the universe. He holds the galaxies in his being, and he's kind to us. He governs everything that happens in the world, and he's tender loving with you. He knows that a bird falls out of the sky, and he knows when you change your hair color. And he loves you and so tender with you. He's infinitely strong and wise and pure, holy, and just. And he is so tender with you. And so as your conception of God grows, it's, it's hard for me sometimes to think that God is kind to me, especially when I mess up. The Apostle Paul says he's kind, and because of his kindness that we're born again. And so I think for my encouragement to you would be, let your existence as a child of God Every hour of every day, let it speak to you that because you're a child of God, that he's kind to you. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it, it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Don't you see that? It says, does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin that his kindness leads us to repentance. And if you're estranged from God today, if you're far from God, if you're in rebellion against God and you just kind of stumble in here for whatever reason you're here, God brought you here, 
If you're feeling today hopelessly just trapped by sin, just in the grips of sin today, if today you're exhausted from being boss of your own life, let God's kindness call you back home today. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Second point that we can make in our response to God's tenderness and kindness is, number two, is be God's kindness to one another. Not just that God is kind to us, but if you've been treated kind, would you think about being kind to another? Have you ever experienced that, that the, the kindness of God through another person? And I guess the good question would be for some of you, are you willing to be vulnerable enough and known enough by another person where they can even speak words of God's kindness to you? Because most of us kind of walk around like we got it all together. And so it's almost like, ah, you don't need God's kindness because you got it all together already. But are you willing to be vulnerable enough or known enough to another person that they could see how broken you really are or how troubled you are or how anxious you really are and so that they can speak God's kindness into your life. Some time ago, I was going through some, some pretty difficult things personally and vocationally. The kids were getting older and taking steps of maturity. Some would call it rebellion, but I won't call it that. I'll, I'll, they were maturing. It produced a lot of family stress. The church was expanding, and that produced a lot of ministry stress. And even though I knew, I knew, and I even taught about God's faithfulness and provision, I was, truth be told, in the back of my mind, I wondered, can I possibly cope with all of this that's happening in my life right now? How can I adequately juggle my family stuff and my ministry stuff and my church obligations in my whole life? How, how could I do that? I, I regularly meet with two men for friendship and for ministry support and for moral accountability. And one morning, I, uh, and these guys are safe guys with me, and one morning I just sort of the floodgates just opened and the, the rising waters is just kind of, you know, it just kind of poured out on these guys. And they did not chastise me for my weakness. They didn't question my faith. They listened to me and they gently offered their support and their, their kind wisdom to me. And, and, you know, instantly I knew, I knew, I knew that God was wrapping his strong and loving arms around me through these two, two guys in my life. At, at God's core, at the core of God is his gentleness that seeks to bear our burdens. And when he sees people who are fragile, and you might be feeling so fragile today, he finds ways to visit them and let them know that they are not alone. One of my favorite verses on this subject is in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3. 
the prophet writes, a bruised reed he will not break. A bruised reed he will not break. I went out in our Nova garden today and I picked this, this reed. It was standing like that uh, when I picked it. And it's almost like um, how some of you might be feeling today. That um, maybe when you go to the office or go to work that you're feeling really strong. But after a couple phone calls and a meeting with the team or the boss, it just kind of, it's getting worse and worse as I hold it, it seems. (laughs) And you're just feeling sort of like that, but you can't show this, you know. And, and it's almost like you're so fragile that anything, any more weight, like the rain that we had last night, if it falls on it, it's just going to break. You're just going to break. And you might be feeling like this bruised reed today. A bruised reed he will not break in a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I'm going to hold it straight up so it doesn't. Oh, gosh. There it is. Wow. A lot of you can't see it. We're far away, but that's barely a flame. I'm going to try to make it back. Some of you feel like this today. And it it's, uh, was barely lit on that side. A smoldering wick, he won't snuff out. A wick that's barely, a flame that's barely holding on to this wick. It's, it's sort of its last vestige of flame. And, you know, those two word pictures, those fragile pictures describe some of you today. One wrong move. You know, you're, you're like that, that reed that's just bending and just one, um, maybe your coworker doesn't even mean it, but they were just, you know, you joked yesterday about something and they joked back at you again and, and that was just so much for you. It just broke you. Or maybe there's this little vestige of a flame that's that's your lifeblood. And any sort of a wind is just going to blow it out. And God uses us in the life of others to reach out with a gentle touch that caresses the reed that's bending over and that brings new life to this dying flame that's within us. And I think here at Nova, as, as we expand in, with people and in different people um, come to, to know Christ and to come to know a loving church family like this, just different people, and as our ministry expands deeper, we talk about deep things in the book of Hosea, 
as our outreach of compassion goes further and further out, touching different people in different areas, from Mexico to around the world. As we develop this outdoor campus, this blessing of three and a half acres of land that God has given us, and we create a new playground and a, and a welcoming front area, and, and uh, just the beauty of the vision of what the new campus development will be like, it's going to draw more people. And people, that this would be just this gift of grace. It wouldn't be a plan for evangelism for us. I, I don't want just a bunch of new stuff out here to be a plan of evangelism for us. It's a gift of grace that God has given, blessed us with. And for a South Bay that's so overworked and so busy and so in need of open space that we would beautify what God has blessed us with and so that the community would come and, and somehow think, this is different. That I can sense the tenderness of God here that's calling me back to himself. A, a God that is, is wooing us and alluring. A, a God that is bringing me hope and safety in my life because my world is becoming more and more troubled. That people from the South Bay and the surrounding area would come and, and they would think, I don't think, need to think of God as, as a, a, a demanding master that I can think of him as someone who's intimate with me, my husband. That, that people would come and, and that they would think God would renew. I can, I can come back home. I, I can come back to God. And, and through all of this, there are people all around that are like this bruised reed and this dying flame that needs a gentle touch from God. And maybe this is, no, this is what Nova Community Church can be. This is the exact reason we have things like small groups where Nova people can find a place to love others and be loved. But truth be told, isn't it hard to be loved? It's easy to love others, but it's harder to, to be loved, isn't it? To receive that love sometimes. And small groups are a place not just to love and be loved, but it's a place to, be, to know somebody and be known. But what's harder, I, I think everyone's down for, I want to get to know you a little bit. But others are, but I don't want you to know me, right? But this is the exact re reason we're in this journey of small groups together. God's tender love, it's, it's amazing. He's calling us back to himself. He's giving us a place of security and safety. He changes our perspective of how we relate to him. And he assures us, I'm going to renew my vow to you. Amen.